This is such a magical time. I know the journey that you are about to embark upon as a debut author. I mean, going into it there, you know, you have all these high expectations and there's the excitement around it, yet you're also a little nervous because you're putting your baby (laughs) that is yours out into the world. And so, um, but everybody loves a debut and it's a magical time. And just curious about what, what are you feeling right now launching a book into the world? Yeah, I still can't believe it. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to an episode of Friends in Fiction Writer's Block podcast that we are so excited about. Today, we're celebrating debut novels. Since the Friends in Fiction January reading challenge is to read a debut, we thought we might explore two stellar and important debut novels and authors. There are so many nuances in bringing a debut novel to life, and today, we're fortunate to be able to celebrate two of the best. I am Ron Block. First, I want to introduce you to my talented and brilliant co-host and friend, as well as author of my own favorite 2021 debut novel, The Kindest Lie. Please say hi to my co-host, Nancy Johnson. Hi, Ron. It is so wonderful to be with you. And I just want to thank you so much for everything that you've done. I mean, you do such a great job of just championing debut novels, but you've really done a lot to be an advocate for mine. And so I appreciate it. And just also want to say hello to all the listeners out there, the readers who have not only bought the book, but told their family and friends about it and talked about it in social media. It is just hard to believe that this book is a year old now. I know. I know it's a year old. And it's so great because a lot of people have really picked up your book and held it close. They love your book and, and that you're right. They share it with everybody. And, you know, it wouldn't be, and I appreciate you thanking me, but it's really the work that speaks for itself. You know, a, a great debut novel is a great debut novel and it deserves all the accolades that it gets. But it's also been quite a year for The Kindest Lie, and it's actually going to be released soon in paperback. And there's a great surprise that Nancy's going to talk to you about in a moment. But since we're talking about debuts, can you think back to when your book baby was just about to be published, Nancy? And also, what can we expect from the paperback edition? Yeah, I mean, it is just surreal. I mean, I spent six years writing The Kindest Lie, and it's such an interesting experience to spend that kind of time alone with just, you know, me and my book and the computer, no one else out there. uh, And then to put it out in the world, because at that point it's no longer mine. It now belongs to the readers. And the kindest lie is a story. I really wanted people to just start talking about. It's a story of a black woman uh, engineer. Her name is Ruth and she's on the come up and she returns to her hometown, this dying Indiana factory town where she grew up to search for the son that she walked away from when she was just a teenager. And so she goes back there. It's 11 years later. Obama has just been elected president. 
And when she goes back to find her son, she meets and forms this unlikely friendship with a poor young white boy nicknamed Midnight. And the two of them are just on this collision course of race and class. And and what I wanted was to spark meaningful conversations for people about issues of race and class, the things that we don't always like to talk about because they're hard to talk about. But there are also other themes I think that people have really connected with, with the book, things like family and forgiveness. And the beautiful thing is that with the paperback edition launching, there's all this great content that's going to get people talking. There is um, book club questions in there that I wrote, you know, very thought provoking, a QA and a with me, and then a behind the book essay. Wow. Wow. That's nice. And that's always good when they can, and it has a beautiful new cover too. I've seen the I know, cover. Yeah. It's got orange a really cool cover. cover. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's going to pop. I think uh, it is. It's going to yeah. pop right off the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the good thing about it too, and I, you know, again, it's, it's a book that I just can't stop talking about. It does give you a lot to think about. It's one of those books. that's a great example of reading, you know, maybe for me, at least outside your culture, outside your gender, outside your thing. And I just learned so much from reading the book. And I think sometimes fiction does that for us. I think it really, it's kind of a gentle way to build empathy and awareness for people. So congrats on that again. Thank you. So you've gotten a lot of amazing acclaim. I can't <laughs> all the people that have fallen in love with your book, all of the publicity you've gotten. I love it. And it's, it's gotten tons of attention. Talk to us about some of the highlights of the first year since it debuted. Yeah. I mean, I wanted somebody other than my mother to read the book, <laughs> and enjoy it. Uh, and so I think I have, you know, exceeded that bar that I set for myself. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the, the beautiful part of it was that it was reviewed by the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Los Angeles Times, many others. One cool moment was seeing The Kindest Lie uh, featured on the must list for Entertainment Weekly opposite the Foo Fighters. Yeah, <laughs> so yep. and I get that magazine, cool. so I was opened it. Went, Whoa! I know, right? Yeah, Daniel Kaluuya, the actor, was on the cover. And so, yeah, that was a special, special moment. But now I have even bigger news to share, and that is that The Kindest Lie is the target book club pick for February. Yay. Yay. I'm clapping over here. <laughs> yeah, that's big news for me. It's Excellent. Oh my God. It's going to get into so many new hands that hadn't gotten to read this amazing book before. I saw a picture on social media where you had to sign about <laughs> over 7,000 copies or tip in pages. <laughs> I know. I know. So like I went to the door, UPS is there with seven huge boxes oh for God. me. <laughs> and yeah, there were 7,700 of these tip in sheets that are bound into the Target special edition copies. And basically, it just says this is a, an exclusive edition of The Kindest Lie, you know, for Target readers. And then there's my signature. And I think I went through more than 20 pens. Oh, my God. I lost count at 20. <laughs> my hands were sore. My editor at William Morrow said, I need to go get a hand massage. <laughs> I didn't even know there was such a thing. <laughs> uh, but it was worth it, you know, to get this book into the hands of even more readers now through Target. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't wait for those new readers to get their hands on it either, because um, there's a lot to talk about. And it's it's almost going to be like it's it's starting over again in a way. Yes, yes. A new life for it. But I have a feeling I heard somewhere that you were working on your second book. Can you talk about that at all? 
Of course. Yes, yes. I'm writing the second book. I've got to turn it into my editor in May. So I'm mm-hmm. very busy on it. It's called People of Means. And it's a story of an upper middle class black mother and daughter, both of them coming of age at different moments of racial reckoning in the country. The mother coming of age in Nashville, Tennessee in 1960, during the time of the sit-ins uh, while she's a student at Fisk University. And then her daughter is coming of age in 1992 in Chicago, but at the time of the acquittal of the four white police officers who beat Rodney King out in L.A. And so it's a story about resistance. You know, what does it mean to resist, particularly for upper middle class Black folks uh, at these two different times in history? And it's also about purpose and ambition and love again, exploring issues of race and class. So I think a lot of the issues and themes that people connected with in The Kindest Lie, you're going to also find in People of Means. With whole new characters. I I have goosebumps actually from this because I just, I I love your writing. I love your character development and I I can't wait for this. So yeah, you know, you'll get an early copy. Oh, thank you. (laughs) You know, that's the only reason I do these things. So I can get these early copies. (laughs) Too funny. Well, let's switch up a little bit, and I want to introduce you to a brand new debut author. It's certainly my honor to introduce you all to Lizzie Demolola Blackburn, who's the author of the eagerly awaited and stunning debut, Yinka, Where Is Your Husband? Just out, and it's a featured selection of the Book of the Month Club. Publishers Weekly said that Blackburn's lighthearted tone helps deliver heavy thoughts on colorism, the tension of cultural differences with the benefits of therapy as the story moves toward a happy ending on all fronts. This delivers loads of entertainment and a dollop of enlightenment. And I think that I couldn't agree more. So welcome, welcome, Lizzie. Hi. Hi, Vaughn. Hi, Nancy. <laughs> hello, hello. We're so happy to have you. And I'm so happy to have, be here. Yes. And I have to say, this is such a magical time. I know the journey that you are about to embark upon as a debut author. I mean, going into it there, you know, you have all these high expectations and there's the excitement around it, yet you're also a little nervous because you're putting your baby yeah. <laughs> that is yours out into the world. And right. so... Um, but everybody loves a debut and it's a magical time. And just curious about what, what are you feeling right now launching a book into the world? Yeah, I still can't believe it. Like, I feel like time has kind of gone at a steady pace, which I really like because it's meant that I've enjoyed every like single stage of the process. Mm-hmm. So I still can't believe it's a finally here. So I'm just so happy, so excited, a little bit nervous, but I think that's normal. But yeah, I still can't believe it, really. <laughs> it, it's fabulous. And you know that I, I love the book so much. I love Yinka so much. And I have to say, I, when I pronounce it, Osband, it's because you put the pronunciation key at the <laughs> beginning of the book, which I'm so grateful for. Because so often we read a book in, from a different culture, things that we aren't really sure. But that helps so much and put it right in my head and boom, there we go. So, Lizzie, can you tell our listeners about Yinka? Where is your husband? Yeah, so um, Yinka, Where's Your Husband is a rom-com and it follows our protagonist, Yinka, who is a British Nigerian 31-year-old woman who lives in South London, Peckham. And Yinka, like most women, um, are she's feeling the pressure to settle down by her very traditional Nigerian mum and her many, many aunties. And to add to that, her younger sister is not only married, but she's also expecting as well. 
And then her cousin decides to get himself engaged. And so Yinka is really feeling the heat. And so she decides to take her love life into her own hands because her mum and her aunties are always, you know, keen to set her up with someone. And so she sets up this plan to find a date in time for her cousin's wedding. But what kind of starts off as a very, like, simple goal turns into something very drastic. And Yinka feels as though she has to change herself in order to find love. So in addition to this being a love story, it's also a story of self-discovery, mm-hmm. which she goes on with the help of her amazing friends as well. And she has some wonderful friends. I, I read one review that's called it, um, they said it's a rom-com for people who love rom-coms, but it's also a rom-com for people who hate rom-coms. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's both sides of the coin. And, and what's great about it is all of the important issues that we talk about. And we're going to get into that a little bit in a minute. Uh, but what was the driving force within you that compelled you to write the book? I think so many authors I talk to, they talk about how this, this idea has just been boiling for years and a long time. Can you tell, tell us about the origin of the story? Yeah. So um, funny enough, Yinka, Where's Your Husband started off as a short story. So back in 2014, 2015, I had this blog called Christian Dating Dilemmas. One, because in mainstream fiction, I always craved to like read about a Christian character, but I could never find one. And also um, my dear mum was pressuring me to find a husband, even though I was you know, <laughs> freshly out of university. <laughs> and so I wrote a short story about um, a British Nigerian woman going through the same thing. However, the idea to turn it into a novel came much later on when I met this brilliant author called Jackie Lay. And, you know, as all writers do at some point, I wanted to get feedback on my writing. So I decided to share my blog with her. And so in addition to giving me really helpful, constructive feedback, she said, do you know what, this Yinka character, I really, I really love her. Like, I think you should turn it into a novel. And so I took on a challenge and, um, yeah, the best is history. And that was like maybe five years ago. <laughs> wow. So it's been coming for five years. Wow. Yeah. Um, so once you made that decision, how did it get from there into the hands of a agent and publisher and, and think, my goodness, Pam Dorman. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a long journey. <laughs> like <laughs> literally when I started to write Inca story, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what it entails to write a book. So I've always loved writing as a kid and I've always enjoyed reading, but I didn't understand the magnitude. So I was basically just kind of like winging it really. Um, but I guess my light bulb moment came when I read this brilliant book called Story Engineering by Larry Brooks, which I recommend to all writers. And that's when I realized that writing is a craft and there needs to be structure and like compelling characters and stakes and conflict and things like that. And then from that point forward, I started to invest in myself as a writer. So whether that's, you know, attending online creative writing courses or reading more or attending workshops and things like that. And then in 2019, I entered the literary consultancy Pen Factor writing competition. And I very nearly did it apply because I read the bios of the previous winners and they all had like some writing background or credentials. And I thought that, you know, I wouldn't stand a chance. And I was just praying to be long listed even. But in the end, I, I won the competition and Yay. that's how I met my, my agent. And so, yeah, it was like a, a dream come true. <laughs> Right. And, and I see you're published both in England and now here. So you're uh, global. <laughs> yeah. Um, and even like, sorry, so go back. So I, yeah, I got an agent and then she really helped me to kind of like 
get the story like focused. And I think it was a bit like a soap opera where it, it just kind of like was not focused and lots of like narratives and subplots and things like that. And um, with her help, I was able to kind of get the story into a good shape to submit it to publishers. And then in June, I think 24 hours after we submitted, Viking Penguin preempted. And then I think a week later, that's when um, Pamela Dorman um, preempted as well. And yeah, I was just blown away. I was like, Pamela Dorman? Like, she <laughs> likes my writing? Like, are you sure? Like, she's like this gods and I'm just me <laughs> and I was just so like blown away <laughs> and and understandably so she did a previous podcast with us and she was um she talked about Yinka so that was a nice shout out from her as well mm-hmm. so Nancy you got a question yes yes and I just love everything that you said Lizzie just about the process of going through this and and working on craft and working with your agent your editor to make the book shine I always say that about my agent and editors, like they take what I have on the page and then you transform it into, you know, the image that you had in your mind. And it sounds like that's what happened with you and your agent and with Pamela Dorman. Wonderful. And so for me, reading this incredible book as a Black woman, I was nodding uh, the entire time. You know, you explore racism and the uh, expectations of women. And as a dark-skinned Black woman, I love how you addressed colorism within our community with your characters in such a brilliant and uh, stark way. Can you talk to us about how you are able to combine these real life issues in your novel? Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you so much for your kind words. So I knew that I wanted Yinka to be, you know, both a fun and, you know, hilarious book. But at the same time, I wanted to make sure that I touched on those like really serious issues as well and because Yinka is a dark-skinned woman with like falsy kinky hair I just felt like I couldn't not touch on colorism because I feel like it's you know some sadly part and parcel of many dark-skinned women's um, experience especially when it comes to dating and so you know colorism is still alive in today's society you know especially in the black community the south asian community and i kind of wanted to kind of like hold a mirror to society and show how it can impact a woman's a dark skinned woman's um perception of herself and beauty and attractiveness and how she kind of views herself in the gaze of a of a man and hopefully it will get readers to kind of think about especially if the not a person of colour, how colorism affects the Black community and kind of get a conversation started on that too. Yeah. And what I love about it is it was not didactic and you didn't over-explain some of those issues uh, that are about race, because that's something I wrestle with in my own writing. You know, how much to tell readers who may not understand the culture versus those of us who are within the culture, we don't want to read it and think, oh my God, this is written for somebody else. You know, of course we get these things. How did you deal with that? Uh, You know, with how much to explain and not explain? Great question. Yeah, really good question. Um, I really have to credit my editors and they're both white. And I think at times I was doing telling as opposed to showing. So they really just, you know, encouraged me to trust the, the reader and that they would kind of like work it out for themselves. And also I didn't want to like write a story where the author is kind of trying to sh- shove like issues into the book, but it's not 
really come from the characters, it's come from the authors. So I really had to weigh up, you know, how to do that. I just kind of like editing, editing, editing until I got to a stage that I was happy with. Mm -hmm. And you did it well. You did it through story. Oh, thank you. Beautifully. (laughs) Yeah. And and as somebody who um, doesn't happen to be a woman and I'm not black, (laughs) it it rings so true to me. And this will be touched on earlier. It's the... It, it builds empathy, but it also, it, it brings knowledge without feeling pounded in the head. It's, I, I, you know, I'd always heard about colorism and this, but obviously I haven't experienced it, but it, in reading both of your books, I, I, I just, um, it just grew, it grew my heart. If you would, if you'd let me say that, but uh, about these issues and help me understand better. So it's the best of what a fiction novel can do. Yeah. Growing your heart. That's beautiful. Beautifully said, Ron. So in my other life, I'm not just writing novels. I also have a day job. And so I'm in this business setting all the time. And so it was so fun to see Yinka, you know, using the post-it notes, which I have all over my laptop. But also when she's working on her dating strategy, she's got the spreadsheet with the goals and the objectives and the key performance indicators, the KPIs in there. And that was just so much fun. Uh, How did you decide to add those really interesting elements into the story? Yeah. So like I said before, I really wanted it to be a fun book (laughs) and I wanted it to be like really immersive as well. And just given like Yinka's profession and like, she seems like she's a planner, like she's a doer. So it just made sense for her to make use of like the post-it notes and also like have a spreadsheet given her job as a operation manager at the investment bank. And also with the other bits that I included, such as like the WhatsApp messages and uh, the internet searches, I just felt like it's very relevant to today's society. Like, you know, tech and social media is everywhere now. You can't really avoid it. And I kind of wanted the reader to feel like they were watching, like, it's like a, a series, like a TV series, because um, when you watch shows like Insecure, for example, they include a lot of that. So I kind of wanted to replicate the same type of thing, the same experience. Yeah, it was a great way to merge, I thought, her professional and personal life, too. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. And it added some fun to it, too, I yeah. think, like you did. But at the same time, it really touched on Yinka's own desires of the heart. Like, what did she want for herself? And it really brings the reader in where they can relate to exploring who you are and what you want out of life. And how did you decide to do it that way? And how much of that is from your own background? <laughs> Um, so yeah, Yinka is her, her own character and, (laughs) but like all writers, I did kind of like touch on like things that I was kind of familiar with. So, you know, Yinka being a Christian, you know, I'm a Christian, um, the setting is in Peckham. I grew up in Peckham for the first like 13 years of my life. And, but yeah, she kind of like evolved on her own, the more I wrote about her. So like she's a lousy cook, for example, and I'm I'm pretty good. <laughs> and she has like this big family of like aunties who kind of pressure her to settle down. And that's something that I've never experienced before. But I have watched like Nollywood films where you do have those characters. So I felt like that would be, you know, really cool to bring in. And yeah, just like the more I wrote, the more I chipped away at it, the more I had help from my editors and my agents, it just kind of evolved organically. And with including so many things in your own life, did you worry at all about what 
you know, family and friends might say some of the aunties uh, in your own world, but they might say, huh, is this me? <laughs> yeah, I do have like my friends that are asking me, oh, is that, did you go through that experience? Or like, is that you? Well, I can imagine you saying that. It's like, no, it's all Yinka. <laughs> you want it to be me, but it's not me. <laughs> yeah. um, what about people in your life? Do they think that you based characters on them and what their relationship with you has been? Um, so my husband, he knows me more than anyone. So, and for one of the love interests, I did kind of use some like traits, um, gotcha. for my husband. Yeah. So he picked one little thing. So for example, Alex is one of the guys that Yinka has a crush on and he has like a bright pink bottom lip, which my husband actually has as well. So when he read that uh... description, he was like, that's funny because <laughs> I've got that. <laughs> it's me. Yeah. It's a good guy. All the better. I know. <laughs> oh my God. So the aunties were some of my favorite things. And I think we all have those in our lives. Although I think each culture is very different about how yeah. involved aunties are. What's your experience with them really having both of you? Actually, I want to know about the aunties in your life. <laughs> so for me, do you know what? My aunties are not as nosy. Like it's, <laughs> it's very much like, you know, how are you? How's married life? Like how's work? Like it's very like top level. I do have one auntie, but she's actually my cousin, but I call her my auntie because she's older than me. I think she's probably the one that we might have conversations about like, I don't know, relationships. And she gave me some advice before I got married. But other than that, like, it's very much, you know, I'm the child and you're the auntie and I respect you. And, you know, we don't, I don't share too much of my life with them. It's probably smart. <laughs> right, right. That's true. Yeah. It's so yeah. interesting about the role of um, these aunties or aunties. Uh, I think in the black community in America, you know, it's, we think of these other figures out there, like you might hear people say Aunt Maxine for Maxine Waters in uh-huh. Congress, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. so just these women who are older and wiser women we revere, we will often assign that auntie title to, uh, which I think is just really special uh, mm. in the Black community. And um, it's just a way to honor those those women. And then in my own life, I have great aunts, you know, biological aunts. Uh, the one was not too pleased with them. I, well, I, I'll say this, just like you, I come from a, a Christian church, you know, going family and uh and I had um, one word in there that one of my aunts was not pleased with. She said, I love the book, except for this word. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she said, and it's on page 295. <laughs> so she had the page number and everything. So I feel like these aunties, they are on top of it and they love you to pieces, but they're also going to get on you and um, you know keep you in line too. <laughs> They are. And my experience is nothing like yours. They would sit around at holidays and the glasses would be down on their nose and they would just look at you and you would know. You would know know. exactly. Yes, yes. Exactly what's being said. Um, So, Lizzie, we're on the eve of of this book coming out here in the United States and you're getting so much acclaim. What does that feel like and what does that mean to you? Do you know what? Every single day I just count my blessings, really. Like, I, I still can't believe I'm in this position and... I'm just so grateful to every readers, you know, people like you are really championing the book and saying such positive, lovely things. Like it really doesn't mean the world to me. And I'm just so, so grateful, so happy. And I'm so happy that I didn't give up as well, um, because there were many times I wanted to give up. So 
it's just, yeah, overwhelming and it's a blessing really. That's wonderful. Um, and so I, obviously we're in a time of COVID. So are there plans for tours or what kind of events will you have to promote the book? Yeah, so I do have um, events on Tuesday, so launch day, with loyalty uh, bookstores. And also um, I've got all day radio the following day and my publicist is working really hard and just scheduling things in. In terms of the UK, because the book is out in March, I'm not too sure what plans there are yet because of COVID, but I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I'm praying that I'm able to have an in-person book launch, but we'll, we'll see. Good. Well, it'll be exciting no matter what. So, so Nancy, you also, your book came out during the first wave of COVID. I know. Um, any advice for Lizzie? Yeah, I know what that's like. Because um, you have all these expectations for what it's going to be like, you know, to have all these people in a room with you when you launch a book. And, and then COVID really changes that. But the beauty of it is, I think, is that you get to reach so many more people, more readers when you're doing it virtually, the people who can show up who would not normally show up from all over the the country and around the world too. So I think that's the beauty of it. And I would say the other advice is that you only debut once. Mm -hmm. And so enjoy every moment of the experience, savor it. Um, I always say, don't look at other people's, don't look at somebody else's paper, see what they're doing and (laughs) worry about, uh, (laughs) you know, how their Amazon rankings might be going or, you know, those kinds of things. Um, Just focus on you and, Stay true to why you did this and why you wrote the book. That's mm-hmm. the most important thing. Um, try to avoid reading too many reader reviews. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you don't want that to get into your head, yeah. the negative things, but you want to also embrace the readers, though, and connect with them. I think that's where the beauty is. You know, regardless of all the other accolades, it's about the people, the real people who are mm-hmm. going to read it and connect with the story and find themselves within the story that you wrote. Thank you. That's really useful. Like, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. I wish yeah, you all the I'm best. Sitting, I'm excited. I'm You're all warm Thank and you. tingling. I know. It's, it's so exciting. And, and if you need somebody to go online and fight those people that don't know what they're talking about <laughs> with the reviews, I'm on your side. I can yes, do this for you. me too. I can do this. I can do this. Um, so, Lizzie, what's next for you? You mentioned you were working on something. Yes. Yeah, so um, I'm writing book two at the moment. Um, I'm not at a stage where I can give too much away, but okay. um, a teaser. It is interconnected to Yinka's world. Um, <sighs> yeah, <laughs> that's all I'm saying. I'm um, ready. <laughs> but um, I've got to the stage now where I'm starting to enjoy the process. You know, writing a second book is always hard. Um, and it's that kind of like fear as well. Like, would it be good as book one and that pressure? But I'm at the stage now where I think I know where the story's heading and I'm starting to know more of the characters. So yeah, it's been an interesting ride. So yeah, watch the space. It is. Oh my yes. God. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> I I'm know, looking forward I'm to it both. Any other questions, Nancy? No, I think this was perfect. I'm just so excited for everybody to read Inka's book and to love it the way that we have. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's a beautiful story. Yeah, yeah. So, Lizzie, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I know, and Nancy knows, that readers everywhere are going to join both of us falling in love with the Inca. So, congratulations on a stunning debut. Yes, congratulations, Lizzie. (laughs) Thank you. It's going to go places for sure. Mm -hmm. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you.
And Nancy, I can't thank you enough for co-hosting this episode with me. We've been trying to do this a while, and I'm so glad it finally happened. I love finding ways for you and I to work together. And fun fact for everybody, even though Nancy and I have become really good friends through her book, I got a very early copy of it. We've never actually met in person. I know, right? How is that? (laughs) What is going on here? I know. We've got to meet up at some point. We will. Oh, no, it's going to happen. But anyway, it's so much fun. Let's do this again. Let's let's co-host another one. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Love it. Love it. And thank you all for tuning in for this wonderful conversation celebrating debut novels and authors. Be sure to tune in each week for a new episode. Remember to share the podcast with a friend. We appreciate you all so much. Remember, you can always find all the books by every Friends and Fiction Writers Block podcast guest, past and present, in the Friends and Fiction Bookshop.org shop. All sales placed there help to fund Friends and Fiction, and a portion of each and every sale goes straight into the pockets of indie booksellers nationwide. Since its inception, Bookshop.org has raised more than $16 million for indie bookstores. Shop small, shop local, from the convenience of your screen with Bookshop.org, and tell them Friends and Fiction sent you. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends and Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.